Grace and love, your goodness. Lord, we just come and we ask you to just give us wisdom as we look to your word. Thank you for just your grace um, that's open to uh, anyone and everyone, Lord. We pray tonight if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, you would speak to their hearts about your love towards them. And, Father, just your goodness to receive them as they are, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, I'm going to speak out of John 18, verse 37 and 38. The message is entitled, What is Truth? Today in the world, you have many ideas what truth is. There was a time in our nation, not too long ago, as well as in periods of history, where absolute truth was based upon absolute objective truth. In other words, certain things never change. We've seen through history that it when nations have gone or the world has gone to the alteration of absolute truths, that dramatic things happen to those people and those societies. Rather than being built up and rather than being stable, they become unstable and destructive, first to themselves, then to others. And so... As we look to the scriptures, and you might be here tonight, and you might um, be well-educated, you may be going to university, or you may be a very uh, studious person and other levels on your own, and maybe you take in all kinds of information and you don't limit yourself to one set category or, or um, one set um, field of, of knowledge, but you dwell into everything, and you just assimilate. And, um, and you have a vast knowledge of information. But as you take in all this information, you also realize there's some conflicts within that set of knowledge. Some of it plainly contradicts one another while others can kind of blend with each other. But the Bible speaks about a truth that is absolutely always the same. And that is the Word of God. It never changes. So you have the conflict of the intellectual aspect of man that reads assimilates and tries to accommodate within these various departments of knowledge and try to make some sense of life. And then the real test is going out in life and trying to apply that knowledge that you have to see if it works. The problem is that a lot of the knowledge that we drag and learn from the world, it's theoretical. And when you go out in the world, it really doesn't work. But in spite of it not working, it's still pushed off and promoted as truth. Jesus is before Pontius Pilate here in this text. And as you know, Jesus is being condemned to death. They have scourged him, they have cross-examined him, they have mocked him. 
the scriptures are being fulfilled. As Jesus is brought before Pilate here in verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I have was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. The first thing Jesus told Pilate is that he was a king. You say rightly that I'm a king. What kind of king is he talking about? Is he talking about just an earthly king, someone that has authority and an army and certain uh, powers to rule over other people and to do as he wishes? Or is he the king that he said he is, the king of the Jews, God himself? The one who had declared the end from the beginning. The one who had fulfilled the promises to come to his nation. Very specific, the way he would come through a miraculous birth to a very particular place, Bethlehem, through a specific lineage of David. Being true to the truth that he declared from the foundations of the world. So you've got one of two decisions to make regarding Jesus. Either he's merely just a king that would affect, if that's what he's talking about, then he would be a laughingstock before this governor, Pontius Pilate. Because if he's a king, he's a pitiful king because he's just been beat. He's just been mocked. A crown of thorns has been put on his head. So what kind of king are you declaring to be? But Jesus wasn't speaking about that. He was speaking about being the king of the Jews who would come to die for the sins of the world. The Lamb of God. The one who would vicariously carry on his own person the weight and debt of sin against the Holy God. And make payment of that sin that sinful man and lost man might have hope of forgiveness and reconciliation with God. Something that man can never do for himself. Now, this type of king is far more powerful, far more benevolent and concerned about others than an earthly king. Because an earthly king looks to how the people can serve him. If you remember the Old Testament, when Israel wanted a king like all the other nations, God told them, okay, I'm going to give you a king, but this is what he's going to do, Saul. He's going to take your sons, your daughters. He's going to take them for bakers and for plowmen and for army and this and that. And he's going to use them all for himself. Ah, it's okay. We'll take them. <laughs> so the first decision you have to make if you don't know Jesus is, is he God eternal 
who is king over all of mankind, or is he merely just an earthly king? If he's just an earthly king, then he had a very temporal existence, a very miserable one, really. Nothing really to brag about. But if he says who he is, and that's true, then this position of king was necessary before he could be crowned at the right hand of the Father with all authority, with all power to be able to save mankind. Pilate thinks he has power. He told him, he says, you have no power to deliver me unless God would give it to you. I'm sure Pilate scratched his head trying to figure it all out. But notice that Jesus then said, everyone who is of the truth, here's my voice and here, here's, here's the, the crisis, here, here's the clincher. Every person who hears the gospel that Jesus Christ is God who became man, that he died for our sins, that the judgment of the Father would fall upon him so it wouldn't have to fall upon each individual sinner. And if they believe what the scriptures say about Jesus, then they could call on God and be saved. So that's the gospel. The gospel is based on objective truth that has never changed. Jesus is God eternal. He became man. He became sin. He paid the price for sin. And he rose from the dead to guarantee the acceptance of that payment. That objective truth has never changed. This gospel has been preached for 2,000 years, the same. It has never become relevant, subjective. Though we see much of that in the church today, that the gospel is being altered, redefined, as well as the Christian. Which brings us to conclude that it's a different gospel. But the gospel remains the same. It doesn't mean people don't try to change it. But if you examine what you're hearing and you put it next to the gospel of the scriptures, it's the plumb line. Then you can tell the true from the false. Because you judge the false by the true. Not the reverse. You always hang on to that which is objective and unchanging. It remains the same. And so everything you will hear in life, you want to judge it to the gospel truth. What people say about God, what people say about sin, what people say about you as a sinner and what you can do about your sin. If what people tell you about yourself as a sinner and sin contradicts the word of God, then you know it's a lie. The Bible says that you and I as sinners can do nothing about our sin. We can't change it. We cannot undo it. We cannot explain it away. We cannot excuse it. All we can do about our sin is to acknowledge it as being sin against God first. And then my agreement with God that I'm a sinner confessing my sins and asking forgiveness, then he will graciously forgive me of my sin.
by grace through faith, that not of myself is the gift of God. That's an objective truth that is handed down to every generation, has never altered. Jesus gave the same thing to the thieves on the cross, both of them. One accepted, one rejected. He didn't give two different gospels, but the same gospel. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who turns that light on regarding the gospel. He makes it alive. He opens my understanding if my heart is open to understand the gospel truth that I'm a sinner separated from God because of sin. And he allows me to understand that Jesus is the only one that can forgive me my sin and reconcile me back to the Father. But he will not make that decision for me or force me to make that decision. He gives me that free will. Which makes me responsible for the decision on objective truth. No one else. I can't blame my father. I can't blame my mother. I can't blame my brother, my sister, my wife, my husband. Nobody. Therefore, each individual is responsible for their eternal state. This objective truth, again, has been preached for 2,000 years. If the Lord tarries for another 2,000 years, it will continue to be preached. And there will be others who will try to corrupt that truth. But the corruption doesn't destroy the truth. The truth exposes the lie to those that are open to the objective truth of God's gospel. And those that embrace the gospel truth that never changes then are in agreement with God that he's holy, he's just, he's good and that he honors his word above his name. And if I cast myself upon him with a contrite spirit and humility, believing who he says he is and who I am, then I can be made whiter than snow and be in fellowship with God. Wow. And I have nothing to boast about. Because I just believe what God said. Simple. The third thing comes from the mouth of Pilate. Listen. Pilate said to him, What is truth? He answers his own question. Listen carefully. And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Wow. That was the absolute truth. If he found no fault in him at all, then that means that he knew that Jesus was telling absolute truth about himself. And he made a choice. Pilate made a choice to save his own skin at the expense of the death of Jesus Christ. He ignored the warning from his wife. He ignored every check that he got. 
because he was not interested in objective truth. He was only interested in the truth that benefited him, which is always relative truth, subjective. When it's absolute truth and you know it's truth, you have to obey it. Sometimes it will benefit you. Sometimes it will cost you. But you know it's the right thing to do. And so tonight, you alone can declare whether Jesus is the true king that died for you or whether he was just an earthly king that was speaking lies. You alone are the one who either is going to hear his voice of truth as the Holy Spirit convicts you and touches your heart, or you will say, well, that's not for me. You alone will say, I find no fault in Jesus. He died in my place. I deserve to die there, not he. Or that he really deserved to die himself. That decision will determine where you will spend eternity. You see, there's no sin that he cannot forgive. There's nothing every, anyone's ever committed that is beyond God's reach to cleanse from all evil. And from all destruction. It's only the person who rejects the absolute truth of the gospel. That he can forgive sin. That all of us are under the wrath of God. That all of us fall short of the glory of God. That there's not one good. No, not one. And that we all come on the same basis. As lost sinners in need of a savior. But it's always through the objective truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No other way. It has nothing to do with your emotions. It has nothing to do with your feelings. It has everything to do with the objective truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans 1, 6 and 7, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God and salvation to the Jew first and to the Gentile. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. Faith always points you back to the objective revelation of God, truth. Faith is not wishing for something or mind over matter or just feeling good or getting some kind of buzz on your stomach. Faith points you to what God has revealed. And you believe what he said. And you put your entire trust on what he said. And you respond in according to what he said. That's gospel truth. That alone is what will save you. Nothing else. And when that step is made, then you ask him in your heart. And he forgives you. He gives you a brand new heart. Fills you with his spirit. He makes you a son or his daughter. By grace through faith. What is it going to cost you? Listen. Listen carefully. It's going to cost you your entire life. 
You got to die to self. You can't live the way you used to. But he gives you the ability to do that. Who he calls, he enables. He's not the God of confusion. When I first got born again in 73, a lot of us heard the gospel. Many came to the Lord through the Jesus movement. But through the 40-some years, few are still walking. You look as they came out of Egypt. Two to three and a half million, they say. How many entered the promised land? Two. Over the age of 20. Wow. I used to believe that the um, wilderness journey was perhaps the exception. But after 40 some years, I believe it's the rule. If I would ask every one of you, <clears throat> one by one, okay, who's been saved? I'll go back as far as 40 years. Or well, we'll start with from the other end. Say a week, then a month, then a year, then two years. And we moved out. Of course, the earlier, more of you would stand up. And as I keep going down the line to the more years, there would be less people. And I would get down to a last person who would stand up 30 years, 40 or whatever it is. And then I would point my finger to, now that person there, there's only one standing. All the people that are here, if we move down 40 years, there's only going to be one of you standing for the Lord. Wow. What holds you is the objective truth of the gospel. Nothing less. If you don't commit yourself to that objective truth, then you'll be blown by the wind to and fro with every wind of doctrine. But if you throw your anchor to heaven, <laughs> you'll be able to sustain the currents and the times. Because your stability is based on objective truth of the word of God. Not on man's philosophies, not on religion, not on your feelings or emotions. But the absolute truth of the gospel. So if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ, then you have to make a decision. Even if you don't respond to the Lord tonight, it's a decision. You've made a decision not to decide. <laughs> If you're hearing the gospel, you're accountable. You're responsible. You're going to make a decision for him or against him. That decision will determine where you spend eternity. Our prayer is that you would open your heart to him. And you would call upon his name if you believe that he's God who died for you and that he alone can forgive you of your sins. And that he would change your life make you born again so that you may be able to live life through God's objective truth so you can receive the benefit of life and live abundantly. Lord, thank you for your grace, your love, your goodness. I pray, Lord, tonight as your word goes forth, Lord, your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts and I pray for those that are here. That you would deal with them, Lord, and Father, that you would just make yourself known to them. Lord, your love, your grace, and what you desire to do for them.
And so we lift them to you, Lord. As you're praying, if you are here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ, or maybe you're over the internet, and God has brought you here or to listen to the gospel, with only one purpose in mind, that you would come to understand how lost you are, that God's wrath rests upon you, that if you don't repent, you will perish. And God doesn't say this with some gratification. It's, it breaks his heart. And so he pleads with you. Come, let's reason together. Though your sins be red as crimson, they'll be made white as snow. This is his offer to you by his grace. If you see yourself as that lost sinner, then you can ask him to forgive you right now through repentance. This is your prayer to him, right where you sit. If you're serious, you will never be the same. You'll walk out of your born again. If you're playing games, you'll walk out the same way you came in lost. But you will be the one responsible, not God. And so if you want to be born again, right where you sit right now, he's going to transform your life. He's going to forgive you of your sins. You can repeat right where you sit right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.